Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adamy and Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They are the place to go online for setting up a golf simulator in your home or business. They sell all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicor, and FlightScope. And they make awesome enclosures, mats, nets, screens, pretty much anything you need for your indoor studio. And if you need help, you can talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter if you call them directly. They can answer your questions about the different systems you're looking at, how they could fit in your garage, media room, or basement. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So now we're officially in 2022. Our last episode debuted in 2022, but we recorded it in 2021. So this weird time warp is over. So a true Happy New Year's to you, Adam. Yep. Happy New Year to you as well. What do you do? Thank you. Anything special? I was down in Florida with the family over the break. So we had a nice time in the South Florida is just unbelievable in the winter. It's low 80s every time we go there. And now I'm back in New York and it's about to snow a few inches tonight. So reality has hit me hard early in the new year. Yeah, I used to live in, in Florida for a while, so I know what it's like. It can get cold there, though. I didn't realize that. I remember one year I didn't bring any pants with me. It was just shorts, and, and they had a cold snap of a winter, but generally it's pretty pleasant, right? Oh, yeah, people panic down there when it gets to, like, 50 degrees. But, yeah, it, it was nice. I, I didn't get to play. I only played golf once, but I had access to a practice facility, so I was hitting balls. But, yeah, I thought... For this episode, on, on our prior episode, you had asked me if I have any New Year's resolutions. I started talking about, you know, goals and habits. So I thought that might be an interesting topic to explore as it pertains to golf, because I know people like to have New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. So we thought maybe we could have a conversation mostly about habits and then, you know, maybe some talk about goals. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on like, you know, a lot of people I see them on Twitter, they're like, oh, I want to get down to X handicap this year. And you know, people are doing their resolutions and setting specific goals. What's your thought on that? But yeah, it's interesting when you sent me, you wanted to talk more about habits than goals. And I, I was, intuitively, I know the difference between them. But when you sent it to me, I was like, well, how would you set a goal without setting habits? But then I do think about lots of pupils or just lots of people I meet in general, not, not golf related, who tell me they have a goal and they, they don't have anything that, any plan, any route to get there or any habits that they, they do. And to me, it seems so logical, so obvious to have a goal, to then break it down into sub goals and then build habits around that. I don't know whether it was the reading I did maybe in my 20s. I listened to a lot of Tony Robbins tapes and things like that. So I think that maybe is unconsciously ingrained in me. But yeah, you're right. I mean, lots of people, they set the goal and they don't set the habits. So this this will be important for them. Yeah, I think I've I've changed my mind about this a lot over the years. Someone who's influenced me a lot, I'm sure I've mentioned him on the podcast before, is James Clear. He's, I don't read too many people online, but he was one of the guys who I always read his his blog posts over the years. And he is someone who focused exclusively on habits, but he did it in a way that is kind of like simple and easy to understand, kind of like, you know, what I aspire to do on Practical Golf and what you do on your site as well. 
And his book, Atomic Habits, was actually, I think it's it's been out for over two years, but it was the number one selling book on Amazon last year. I wow. think he's, millions of copies have sold. It's just, it's an incredible book. And, you know, I read it a couple of years ago and it's definitely influenced me. But, you know, a lot of it's like simple stuff that's like hiding in plain sight. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's too simple to be true. But like, that's, you know, if you want to achieve something in golf or I guess elsewhere in life, it really is like the monotony and the simplicity of just building positive habits and sticking with them because like that is the hardest thing to do. Like I can get lazy as just as bad as anyone else with like working out, whatever. And sometimes I kind of fall off and don't follow through on habits just like anyone else. But over the years and with help from guys like James Clear, I'm being more obvious about them, keeping track of them, putting them in front of me. And it's, it's helped me a lot with, you know, my business, certainly my personal life. And, you know, and on this podcast, I just thought maybe we would talk about some interesting golf habits that I think could be helpful to people. And, and certainly everyone doesn't have to do all these and you can come up with your own habits. But I kind of wanted to get the juices flowing on this topic. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about my own life over the last few years. I would say four or five years ago, I was much more productive I had less time basically because I, I was working a full-time job all the time, you know, teaching 40 hours, 50 hours a week. And then I had to run all the blogging, create the content on the side of that. So I was basically working 80 hours a week on this, on this kind of stuff. And I was very, very organized. And then when I shifted more to much more online now, I've got more time to devote to it, but I produce about the same amount of work, if not less. And I think looking back at the differences between then and now, I, I was much more, I recorded everything more, I wrote everything down, I had clearer goals. I mean, things that we'll go, go through here. So for me, the habits, are fine but i need i need to see the big goal for a start i need to break that down and then i need to have everything really defined you know i'm I'm the type of person who has lists of lists i've literally got a list of the lists i need to create today and then i break those lists down and put them into excel spreadsheets so is that that's what the, is defined as a type a personality right <laughs> yeah i mean i it, it's funny because like i'm not i'm probably I don't even know what they think about type A and B anymore, but I'm certainly fit that mold. But at the same time, like I am horribly disorganized. Like it's, I'm a big picture type thinker person. Mm. So for me, like I don't have lists of lists of lists like you, like my dad is like that. He's excellent with like his task lists. And I, I, I tried to learn that from him. But for me, like I, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast with like the habits that I'm trying to do in my personal life. I literally need them on in front of me in my desk every day, checking them off. Mm, and yeah. if I don't do that, I will probably forget about it. And that was something I did learn from James Clear is, is keeping track of these things. But it, it's it's funny because when you establish a habit in general, as it pertains to a goal, like I think it does make sense if you want to set a goal for yourself and then break it down and to say, okay, what am I going to change to get there? What habits can I form? You start to take like ownership over it. So for me, like I'm, I'm writing my book. We were talking about this before we were recording. Mm -hmm. Every morning I wake up, I wake up fairly early. I'm up at 6.15 or 6.30. That's when my son wakes up. So I'm up with him. And the first thing I do is work on the book. I write a chapter or now I'm editing a lot of chapters and I just exit off. 
And what happens is, this is a technique that Seinfeld had. I think he called it don't break the chain. He kept track of writing jokes on a calendar and he would just check it off every day. And then when you get 30, 40, 50 days into it, you start feeling the pressure of not breaking the chain and you've developed this great habit. So that's been a powerful technique for me as someone who can get like disorganized and unmotivated and lose track of these things. It's just keeping it in front of me and keeping track of it. That's like when I think about the goals, like I want to write a great golf book that's probably going to be three to 400 pages. Like me thinking about that goal, it's like, wow, that's going to be really hard. And it is intimidating. But just by keeping that small habit of saying like the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is to work on that book every day, no matter what happens or most days, I can achieve that goal and I'm getting closer and closer to it. So that's kind of like a simple, overly simplified framework of how I think of habits now. And then, you know, we'll get into some golf stuff. But yeah, I think it's it's super powerful. I don't want to be too self-helpy here, but I think it's a concept that can help a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never seen Seinfeld, but when you were talking about it, it reminded me of something I used to do. I used to have these different columns of goals. You know, one was health, one was reading, one was writing. And I used to write down, it was an Excel spreadsheet, basically, of all, all the different sub-goals I had within those categories. And each day I would, I would go in and I would change the color on one of the cells. So if I did something in reading, if I read that book, I would change the cell color to to red to highlight that it was done or green, I think. Yeah, I think it was green, more positive. And yeah, it was it was great seeing that table fill up. And then you could look back on it uh, as you're doing it even and, and see that, wow, I'm really achieving a hell of a lot here. And it was, like you said, it's like, don't break the chain. I need to add more to this. And that just added fuel to the fire because the more I saw it fill up, the more I was like, I want to I wanna be superhuman here and do, do even more of it. Yeah, I think in the context of, of golf goals, when someone says, oh, I'm a 20 handicap and I want to get down to a 10, There are some drawbacks to goals like that that are specific because sometimes, and I think we covered this in the Scratch Golf episode, is that if you set a goal that's too lofty, it almost can demotivate you because somewhere along the way, if it is too difficult and unrealistic, then it kind of falls apart because you're like, well, this is just way too hard. I can't do this. Versus rather than setting the specific handicap goal is like, okay, I'm looking at my golf game. What can I change this year? Can I change the way I practice? I mean, essentially all the episodes we're doing on the sweet spot, I think are positive habits that people can take up, whether it's, you know, pre-shot routines, strategic decisions, how they practice. These are the things you're going to need to change in your behaviors on and off the golf course. And you can't do them all at once because again, that's too lofty of a goal. You almost have to like start slow and small And then as the momentum builds and you're kind of checking off the marks, whether you're physically doing that on a piece of paper or on an Excel sheet, or you're just kind of feeling that in your mind, you know, you start gaining momentum and then it becomes normal to you. See, and I'm, then go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I'm the opposite with that. <laughs> yeah, this I've doesn't tried, apply to everyone. Like say, for example, with weight loss, you know, I've for probably the last two years, I've been very wishy-washy about it. It's just, you know, I, I don't really record it. You know, I weigh myself often, but when my weight was the best or when my body was in the most shape, I was doing everything extreme. 
and I would I would jump into it extreme as well. He'd be like, yeah. right, I'm gonna do I'm gonna exercise this way. I know not everybody's the same as me, but I was doing everything from I was taking caliper measurements once a week and and writing them down. I've got I'm like a madman. I've got these document after document of all these skin caliper measurements. But that was when I was the most in shape. And I think over the last few years, I've tried to become more relaxed about things. And it's made me worse as an achievement as, or as a person who achieves. I don't achieve much now. I need to be very extreme with things. I think I found that out. Yeah, for me, I'm more of like the simple. I like simplicity. So when it pertains to like working out and stuff like that, I just have the goal of like, I would like to lift weights for 20 to 30 minutes, two or three times a week. I walk every day after lunch. For about 30 minutes, I try and do that five days a week. I have my speed training that I try and do in the off season. So I just set like very basic time frames. And, you know, if I don't achieve the, the habit for the week, that's okay. Sometimes I'm not feeling that well or something gets in the way. But I'm just trying to keep the momentum of saying like, I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to ride my bike a few times. I'm going to walk. And just by doing that over time, like good things happen. So I'd, I'd like people to think about, like, I don't have all the answers for habits in everyone's golf game because all of your games are different. And I have a list of some, like, habits that some of them don't even have anything to do with, like, improving at golf. I think they can make you a happier golfer, too. And there, there's some health stuff. There's, there's some things I'll be going through here. And maybe you have probably some ideas of yourself, Adam. But why don't we just start going through some of these positive habits in golf and you can pick and choose some of these for our listeners. Maybe it can get you thinking about habits that you could take up. But I think it's just a, a good exercise to go through because, you know, if you are looking to make a change in your golf game for this year, you're going to have to change habits. Like that's that's really what it does boil down to is your behaviors and how you approach the game. So do we want to start going through this list? Do you have any other closing thoughts for our intro here? No, no, we can go. We can go through it. So, well, do you want to pick one? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm going to start off with maybe waxing a little poetic and getting sappy about golf. But, you know, I've been playing this game for over 25 years. I've had a lot of ups and downs. And I think the habit that I find most important and, and, and helpful is just being grateful to play golf. Like, you know, if you're listening to this, you are a golfer. The fact that we get to play this game or you know, you're playing, like, that means things have gone well for you in life. You know, you have the time, the money, you're physically able to swing a golf club. Like there's a lot of things we kind of take for granted in life. But every time I'm out there now, whether it's, you know, a hit and giggle type round where you're just having a fun time with friends or I'm in a tournament, I am genuinely trying to be grateful that I get to play this game because I just, I mean, I, as many of you people know, like I, I just genuinely love golf and I know a lot of you love it too but you know along the way the game can kind of become frustrating we can maybe get a little too obsessed with improvement and we start losing sight of like what a special game this is so like that's like one of the top habits that i i really try and remind myself to do all the time is just every time i'm out there i'm just trying to be grateful that i'm literally playing golf as simple as that sounds what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was, read I was reading through your list. I found your email. That's why I made you go first. 
So yeah, I found the email now, reading through the list as you were talking. So you're talking about being grateful to play. Yeah, I mean, that is something that I, I don't know if I'd call it a habit. I don't really make it the goal unless I start to notice that usually it's when I'm getting too competitive, right? And that's with myself. You know, I'm starting to play and I, I notice I want to get better and then I start getting angry when I hit a few bad shots and then that's the point where I realize, right, have you ever heard that story about the guy? I think it's, it's, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's a story about an 80 or 90 year old guy talking about how his bones hurt now and how he can't walk a full 18 and how his eyesight is not good enough to see the ball. And he's just talking about all the good memories he had on the golf course. And it's a really nice story. I'll try and find it and post it on Twitter, but really nice story that kind of reminds you to be grateful that you have the ability to be on the golf course. Because sometimes we get so caught up in getting better that we lose sight of that. That story is just really good to put yourself in that position that one day you're not going to be able to play this game. One day you're not going to be able to walk the course. So really enjoy it now. Have you, have you ever read that story? You know which one I'm talking about? I haven't, but I mean, it's obviously I, 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 it means something to me just because, you know, it, it's funny whenever I talk to people, I kind of come across in our town who I, you know, meet through our kids and stuff like that. I think some of them find out what I do for a living. They're like, Oh, you're the golf guy. And I'll be like, oh, what'd you do today? I played golf. And like, you know, that look when you get, when you start talking about golf to a non-golfer and they're kind of like, why would you do that? Like in theory, the game seems ridiculous. You're hitting this little white ball around a field into a tiny cup, a very far distance away and tallying the score. And a lot of people who are not golfers look at the game and they're like, this just seems ridiculous. And for me, I'm like, well, you are like, I feel bad for you because you're missing out. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) this game like engages your mind, your body. You can travel around the world going on trips with your friends. You can be competitive with it. You can not be competitive with it. I think as you age, there are so many benefits to golf because it provides community you know when you have a built-in community of golfers and you have your regular game on the weekend there's just so many great things that i think this game offers that it's really a gift to me and and i think to a lot of people listening and and yeah like sometimes like you what you just said is like sometimes i I probably struggled with this more in my teenage years and 20s where I would just get like so obsessed with my score and I just wasn't really having fun playing and I kind of lost sight of that. So, you know, it's something that as much as I do compete, even when I'm in tournaments, I'm like having fun and grateful to be there and like trying to cement these memories because yeah, one day I won't be able to play and I'll be looking back being like, oh, that was amazing. So yeah, the gratefulness is big for me. Like I don't ever want to lose sight of that. Yeah, I, I always, when I'm playing poorly, I always remind myself of that story and then I say you know the reason why I'm out here today no one cares about the score no one no one knows that I'm out here shooting anything it's not a tournament round so I'm like well it's, it's good to have the company you know meet new people that's what I enjoy about the game and uh, I get to burn a ton of calories as well I mean around the golf even in a cart can burn 500 to a thousand calories so I get to eat a bigger pizza that night yeah we're gonna we're gonna get it that's another habit that's on my list we'll, we'll get to that one but yeah I think just if you are someone who falls into that category because i know if you listen to the sweet spot you're probably someone who is very interested in improvement 
I just wanted to start off with that so you you don't lose sight of it because you know every time I play I, I try and be mindful of my experience and kind of like just I think golf is a a lot of the times it's like a fight like the past is pulling at you and the future is pulling at you so what I mean by that is like you know you hit a drive and it's not so great so now you're thinking about the past you're like oh I just hit that crappy drive or let's say you started off poorly and your score is not going where you want it to go then you start worrying about the future We're like well I might shoot too high of a number today that won't make me happy so I think what the game does is it gets us trapped between the past and the present I'm sorry the, the past and the future and you're not really thinking about the present all that much which is the experience of playing like literally looking around at the trees or the sun or engaging in conversation with your friends or playing partners and just like kind of soaking that experience in. Like even when I'm I'm thinking back to tournaments I played last year where I was coming down the stretch trying to make a cut or whatever it was, like I think back to those memories, like I was thoroughly enjoying it. I didn't care what happened. I, I was okay with either result, but like I was just trying to be mindful of like, hey, this is really fun that I get to do this. Mm-hmm. And that version of that could be different for every golfer based on how you play this game so that's like another thing for me when i think about like gratefulness and like mindfulness is like trying to be more present in your round and acknowledge you know that the game is awesome you're outside you're in the sun i'll talk about that in a little bit when i think about the sun but it's just this this great experience and and trying to be more rooted in the present rather than worrying about shots that already happened or shots that didn't happen yet so that's another big one for me too that's a great habit is just being like mindful of the experience and and trying to have fun with it as simple as that sounds i think we need reminders for that definitely yeah i think i'm pretty good at that personally thinking about it but then i haven't played competition golf for quite some time i think i would have to have that as a real reminder i would have to make that almost a the the main goal of the round if I was to play into competition because I know I'd get back into that aggressive trying to compete trying to do my best and I'd I'd need to go back into right remind yourself that this is supposed to be fun this is a game so yeah oh yeah that probably I've been competing again for almost seven years now and that probably took me two three four years just to get to that point where I was like okay I've played it enough of these events where I'm like I'm not going to torture myself or else why am I playing them? That's just silly. I should I should stop playing tournaments. So yeah, when I tee it up now, I'm just that again, that is a, a habit that needs to be formed, I think, through experience and, and and paying attention to it. So yeah, that being grateful, mindful, and having fun, like I think it's super simple habit, but if we forget about it, we have to remind ourselves of it. What's next on your list? So another one that I, I think we really haven't discussed on this show before is warming up properly before your round. I, I don't view like what you do before a round is not the same as a practice session for me. So I'm not working on something before I am playing around, whether that's recreationally or in a tournament. I'm just trying to get my body ready. And a lot of people I know a lot of people show up to the course and just go straight to the first tee. And in a perfect world, I think doing, as I get older and I'm I'm worried more about injury, I've noticed the rounds where I don't warm up properly, I can pull something now. I'm not 25 years old anymore. So I think a great habit that 
anyone could perform is doing some type of dynamic warm-up before you even get to the course. And you know, there's a million of them. I know Mike Carroll from Fit for Golf has a good resource on dynamic warm-ups, but it's not... I don't want to go too deep into this because we have other stuff, but like static stretching has kind of like been thrown out the window by the fitness community. You want to do more dynamic stretching, which is getting your body warm for the golf swing, which is fairly violent for your spine and other parts of your body. So yeah, I think doing some type of five minute dynamic warm up, even if you're going to hit balls or not hit balls, like that's a really good habit to have before you play. It'll get your swing speed up. It'll help prevent injury and get your body moving properly so you're not stiff for the first few holes and you can play better too. I think it's just a great habit to have. Yeah, I can't fathom playing a round of golf without doing a, a good warm-up. I'm talking at least 30 minutes. I just, it just, <laughs> that's the, I, I don't think I'd play the game. If I turned up and they said you have to go to the first tee, I'd probably say, oh, I'm, I'm going to go home instead <laughs> unless I had to play. But I, I would hate playing a round of golf without a warm-up. So this is one of those things I, I've never not done. So I can't, I can't really relate to this as, as much. But what I can relate to is getting older and, you know, having bits of my body that are not working as well anymore or, or need more stretching. By the way, I've had lots of emails of people concerned about my hips. Yeah, Thank you for that. They're, they're, they're better now. Yeah, I want to I take that away. It was just purely inflammation or whatever from overuse. So I'm doing so many different sports and new movements that I hurt myself. But yeah, I've had to warm up my hips a lot more recently and then take it slow. I always start with little pitch shots and slowly build up. It, it probably takes me about 20 shots before I hit anything close to full. And even then, I'm not going 100% at it like I would on the course. You know, I would say, I would say at least 25, 30 shots before I, I get to lashing it like I would on the course. So yeah. yeah, I think we could definitely, maybe we'll have Mike Carroll back on to do a more comprehensive episode on how to start off properly. But that's kind of the template I use. I do kind of a dynamic stretch. And I've been lazy about this. Like you said, you're used to it. Like I've been someone who's been lazy about this over the years. So I have the habit of trying to do a five to 10 minute dynamic warm up, And then I start with those finesse wedge shots because I'm not going to go straight to a full swing, kind of get my feel. I like to establish my short game feel first and not put too much stress on my body. And then as I warm up, then I'm going through the bag, hitting my irons, and then finally the driver. But yeah, I think that's a, a basic template that if you have the time, I know some people just don't have the time to do it. If if you, I would take the dynamic warm up over hitting golf balls, to be honest with you. But that's, that's a great habit. I think people can have for, for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I suppose one thing I'd add there for myself would be getting onto the practice putting green. I often spend so long doing yep. the, the body warm up that I, I then I'm like, oh, my God, I've got five minutes left. And I rush to the put, the putting green and just hit two putts and then get on the course. Yeah, you got to get my... the speed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you need that speed. Exactly. Yeah, let, let's do it. Let, let's, I knew this was going to happen. So I think a lot of these are going to turn into full-blown episodes which is a good thing. We have more stuff to talk about. So yeah, that that's definitely like getting the, the speed on the greens. But we got more on the list, so let's keep moving. Yeah, next one. You mentioned this earlier. I think walking the golf course, there's kind of this community on Twitter that talks about walking the golf course. And whenever I mention, so I'm a huge proponent of walking the golf course for a number of reasons. And no matter <laughs> when I mention it on Twitter, I know within seconds, and I know we have UK and Australian listeners here, 
I'm always pleading with people. I'm like, please walk the golf course. And I'm really talking to the American audience because in America, it's very common to ride on a, on a cart. Um, a lot of people don't walk. But mm-hmm. then within seconds, I know the UK guys come and he's like, well, in the UK, we walk, you know, walking's normal. We don't use carts here. And I'm like, thank yeah. you. I know that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is a unfortunate part of the American golf culture is that people don't walk the course that much. And there's, you know, a number of benefits that you know, I can quickly go into. And I'm sure you've realized too, is that I think walking the golf course is like top three or four golf habits you can have for a number of reasons. Yeah, unfortunately in Vegas you can't. <laughs> it's really that bad that they force you to to ride with a cart, and that's completely different for me being in Europe and and the UK. Like you said, we I never rode in the cart as a kid. That was kind of a novelty thing. Like a it wasn't even a real round of golf if you did that. So yeah, it's, it's a strange mindset. But I, yeah, I'd say if you have the ability to, which most places outside of Vegas do, then I would try and walk as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, I think from a a physical standpoint, like every I I walk like I'd say 95 percent of my rounds. Like if people at my course, luckily, it's like a walking friendly course. It's very hilly. It's actually a a nice physical test. But, you know, I'll just tell my playing partners being like if they're all in carts, being like, I'm going to walk. I won't slow you down. And they usually don't care. So I'm someone who walks all the time. And whenever I'm done with it, I kind of look back to the course. and I always think to myself, I'm like that didn't feel like exercise to me. Like if, if someone told me like, Hey, you're going to go walk around these Hills for four hours. I'd be like, I'm not doing that. That's going to get very boring, but because golf engages you so much in the round and like, you're just kind of obsessed about with what's going on in your game. You're not realizing that, you know, I, I've tracked it on my, my Apple watch when I wear it. It's yeah, you know, I walked 13,000, 14,000 steps, five, six, seven miles, I'm like, wow, I I just burned a thousand calories and I didn't even set out to exercise. Like, I think it's like the greatest side benefit of golf that there is because you can go look it up, like the research on like humans are supposed to walk. Like that's what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, a lot of people live sedentary lives and like golf is like a perfect way to get that exercise while playing. So it's like you're killing two birds with one stone. So like for me, it's like, yeah, if you're someone who hasn't walked, like get yourself a push cart. I have one of those electric carts now, the the Motocaddy, which is awesome. I drive it around with my remote control. I think it's just a it's a easy way to like just burn a ton of calories and get exercise that a lot of people are lacking. Yeah, it's really and that it. sucks. It sucks that certain courses, like you're saying in Vegas, that they for and I think sometimes it's for financial reasons they just yeah. want the cart revenue. Yeah. That really, like, to be honest, that, like, pisses me off. I've been to a few courses where they wouldn't let me walk, and I, I do not like it. Yes, it's, walking's really effective. I've, I used to laugh at walking because I was kind of an extreme exerciser. But as I've got older, I just realized the benefits of it. You know, I say I ran extremely hard for an hour. I'm going to be exhausted at the end of that. I'm probably going to increase my chance of injury as well, getting older now. And I might burn... 500 600 calories doing that whereas like you said you could walk okay you're walking for four hours in a round of golf but you burn almost twice well so often more than twice the amount of the running and it just doesn't feel like exercise at all you're not exhausted at the end of it you're not injured at the end of it you're having fun so if you have the time yeah walking is a great thing i love taking the dog out now and just putting a podcast in and going for an hour and a half walk and trying to trying my best to exhaust my little puppy but he always seems to come back with more energy (laughs) 
I would also say, I don't know if you agree or disagree with this. I think from an improvement standpoint and how you can play better golf, I always notice a difference when I am forced to ride. Like I actually, when I played in, in Florida the other week, I was on a cart because they don't, <laughs> unfortunately, they it, this cor- the course I played on is built on like a nature preserve. So it's just like almost impossible to walk between some of the holes. So it's carts only. And I just, I always notice a difference, the cadence of my game, my pre-shot routine. I think from an improvement standpoint, walking can slow things down. So it does, it, in between shots, it does give you that opportunity to, which my first point was, is to kind of like soak in the experience and being mindful of, of having fun in this great experience that golf is rather than like driving straight to your shot. At the same time, it also gives you the ability to size things up from a strategic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So if I hit a drive and I kind of know where my ball is and I'm now I'm walking towards it, I'm starting to kind of run some calculations in my head about what's going on. Where is the wind going? Is there an elevation change? So I'm already like doing some of this thought process on the next shot. And I, I feel like I don't do that as well when I'm in a cart. I just kind of zoom up to the ball and it's kind of like takes me out of my, my cadence. So I think a lot of players, if they slow themselves down with walking and it doesn't necessarily have to make the round slower overall, but it's also an opportunity to A, soak in the experience more and B, do some of that strategic planning or even calm yourself down. Like if you hit a poor shot, take a few deep breaths, calm down. Like I think there's a lot of opportunity for good things to happen as you're walking to your next shot. Definitely. We always used to notice when we played in a cart that it was different mentally. Like you say, you feel rushed, you get to your ball and all of a sudden it's, you know, you're expected to hit straight away. Whereas, like you said, as you're walking up to the ball, I'm starting to create strategies as I'm about 50, maybe even 100 yards from my ball. I'm looking at the the green and thinking about the shot that I'm going to hit. Not the club yet, because I don't know what that's going to be, but you're looking at the lay of the land and the the hazards and and yeah just building those strategies straight away i think that in vegas because it's so busy usually you are you're waiting anyway luckily even though you're in a cart and i think playing lots of sim golf has helped me as well in terms of making quicker decisions because you hit a shot and then it's like being in a cart you're at at your next shot already so i'm getting used to it but i think it is beneficial to to have that extra time yeah, so that's another. I think it's a habit that could like literally change people's lives. Like if you, I'll, I'll end it on this point. Like if you were someone who doesn't exercise and lives a sedentary life, which that's where kind of modern society is pushing us, unfortunately. And I, I'm sorry if I'm being preachy about this, but it's important to me. You know, if you were someone who played a decent amount of golf and went from like not walking to walking, and that was your only form of exercise, like that could legitimately like prolong your life. It can improve your blood pressure, your cholesterol, like go look up the benefits of walking. Like it's insane. Like it's, it's so good for us. So yeah, just please walk the course or at least try it. I've always heard back from so many people who've who've started embracing it and they love it. So let's take a quick break there and we'll be right back. If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn, by visiting linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. 
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why two and a half million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. And we're back. So let's let's zip up the walking preachiness there and, and go on to the next one. Do you have anything, Adam, that you want to interject here or, or is my list dominating this episode? No, I'll keep your... I'm, I'm more goal setty like i said i'm type a personality so everything for, for me is about structure and the the habits are kind of second to that but yeah i'll, I'll let you keep going with the list definitely okay and, and and admittedly like this list isn't necessarily when i was forming it i was thinking like well if you go back to our library and the sweet spot i think this is our 45th episode and like repeatedly want to tell everyone if this is your first episode this is an evergreen podcast so there's no rhyme or reason to how we structure this. We just kind of come up with topics based on listener feedback and Adam and myself's ideas. So you can go back through our library at any point. And I think you're going to find a lot of ideas for positive habits in golf. Well, here's an interesting one in what you can achieve with just habits alone. We didn't set a goal for this, for our podcast, but yet we've achieved a whole year of, of podcast and we've grown it to something that we thought it never would be. The only thing that we set was let's make a habit to record once a week or once, a, you know, if we can't record every week, we'll, we'll skip a week. Okay, but try and do as many as we can. And so just through that simple habit alone, we've we've achieved something that we thought we never could. Yeah, it's, you know, if you look at all of the the top experts that I follow on this is like, it's not complicated. Like I, I don't listen to people who try and complicate things. I, I usually think they're trying to make things complicated. So you're beholden to them. And it, it is simple. Like you and me a year ago, we were like, Hey, let's just team up and do this podcast. Like we think it could do well. We have audiences that overlap and let's give it a shot. And then as we kept going and going and going and kept that habit of, you know, you and me bouncing ideas and, and committing to that hour or two a week to recording. Like now, thankfully, we have all these golfers around the world who are listening to us and we deeply appreciate it. But it can be that simple. So, yeah, a lot of the stuff we discuss on the show in general are positive habits that if you adopt, I think you're going to become a better golfer. I think the important thing for this one here or with the podcast is the accountability like we're sure. accountable to each other. So I can't I can't say, oh, I don't feel like it because, you know, I'm, I'm wasting your time then when you've arranged something. So I think that's been a real big one for me, having someone. And you can take that into other areas of your life if you're improving your golf. If you can find someone else to practice with, perhaps, or someone, someone to be accountable to, whether it's a coach, you know, a coach. That's often why people pay big bucks for a coach is not because they're going to tell you anything new. I mean, a good coach should, but one of the reasons I hire coaches is the accountability factor. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I've done the same thing outside of golf where I will pay someone money just to organize me and hold me accountable. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're doing that for each other and hopefully the show's giving people ideas. And I know I, I hear from so many listeners who are 
getting more ideas on how to improve their golf game. Here's another one on my list. I think this is more like along the lines of some of the stuff we've discussed on the show with pre-shot routines and post-shot routines is like, I really want people to celebrate and internalize good results on the course. I think a lot of golfers just gloss over the good stuff that happens during the round and they focus too much on the negative stuff. I know that that had been a problem for me for years and and let's face it, I probably still do struggle with that. But I think one of the, the great things you could do in this game is like, first of all, recognize what a good outcome is for your skill level. And we've covered that in other episodes. Like for example, someone hitting a drive, it doesn't necessarily go in the fairway. They've got a decent lie in the rough. They hit it far as far as they could and have a clear path to the green that's a good shot congratulate Mm -hmm. yourself for that didn't go in the trees or out of bounds like you've advanced the ball and you have a opportunity to get the ball on the green internalize that pat yourself on the back don't need to do tiger fist bumps and go crazy but like i want people to like build this library or, or form this habit of building the library of positive outcomes in your game and experiences because that you can draw upon when things aren't going so well. So I think in the list of habits that golfers can form, that's a really good one. It's kind of celebrating those mini wins throughout the round. That's something that I'm a completely different golfer now compared to when I was younger. You know, it had to be when I was younger, absolutely perfect. If it even hit the right side of the fairway, I was upset with myself. Whereas now I, I think, you know, going through all the expectations, seeing what, seeing the stats of the pros has helped over the years and just understanding from the physics point of view, you know, if you, if you hit the right side of the rough, you've probably left the face a degree and a half open, something like that. So I can take that shot that just trickles in the rough now and go, ah, it's quite a good shot. In fact, that's still physically amazing that we can hit it that accurate given the, the constraints physics wise. Yeah, I mean, it's a minor miracle. And, and, and often I'm reminded of that every time I'm just thinking back to being in Florida. I was watching a lot of golfers for a couple of weeks. I was watching some kids with their families, like taking up the game and, and you know, watching a complete beginner struggle to get the ball airborne. You start to realize like, wow, it's a it's a minor miracle to hit this thing, mm-hmm. you know, in the air somewhere near your target in the realm of it, going from that complete beginner to you know having more skill and being able to do that on the course however many times you could do it you know for some golfers it's only a few times around for better players it's going to happen 10 20 30 times maybe they have those good results it's hard to give you an exact number but like yeah just take note of that and be proud of it so that to me is like another great habit that I've tried to form over the years and I think has helped me a lot and I know can help a lot of other golfers because this game can get you very down on yourself very quickly and that that's kind of like the downward spiral you want to try to avoid because it affects everything else it affects your enjoyment level what's next on the list I've got we're starting to get into the meat of it now the practicing with yeah, intent we're, we're, is that the right one yeah we're I skipped a few I'm going out of order here here's another one that we have not discussed and Maybe we could do a whole, maybe we'll get a nutritional expert on the show at some point. I know people like to eat. <laughs> when I put, I actually tweeted out what people thought like were good habits for golf. And of course I got the, oh, have a beer and a, and a brat or hot dog at the turn. If you drink beer on the course, eat hot dogs or whatever, you know, fun snacks, that's fine. Like, I don't want to judge people. Like if that's your the experience you want to have, like go for it. I don't want to 
tell people what to do. In the context of actually like performing well, I think being cognizant of your hydration and what you're eating before and during the round is very important because if you're not properly hydrated and you don't have the right energy level, I think all of you know what it know what it feels like when like all of a sudden you get lightheaded or you're starting to get a little lethargic during a round of golf. It's harder to think clearly. It starts to become a little bit of a drag. So I think paying attention to like just drinking enough water, like you don't need to down a Gatorade with whatever, like 40 grams of sugar it has in it. Water's fine. And then actually eating the right things on the course. Like I know, Adam, you've done a lot of research into nutrition. Like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, with the nutrition thing, I'm really weird. I've been intermittent fasting for 13 years. So you you train your body to deal with certain things. So I don't eat until about seven o'clock at night. I have nothing, no breakfast, no no dinner. So I'm actually comfortable playing around a golf and not eating at all. But for the majority of listeners, if you are used to eating lunch yeah, and you get on the golf course <laughs> and you don't have lunch, your body is trained to have lunch. And so therefore your body is expecting that and it starts releasing certain hormones like ghrelin and, and things like that. And your blood sugar is more likely to drop with those hormones. So yeah, so having something to eat on the course, and you know, it, could, it could be as simple as just taking nuts, obviously, unless you're allergic to them, don't wanna get sued. But you know, taking nuts are a really good thing that I would use, I used to take as a junior because they don't fill you up, they don't make you feel too full, so it's not going to affect your swing, but at the same time, they pack a lot of energy and it's really slow release energy, yep. which is quite good. There's not a problem with taking more sugary things when you're exercising as well. You know, walking, you're burning it off quicker as well. And so it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing. That whole thing about sugar crashes is, is a bit of a it's, a, it's a bit of a myth, actually. It's more of a psychological thing. There's been studies done on that as well. If you tell someone they're gonna have a sugar crash, they will. Whereas if you feed them the exact same thing and tell them it's slow release energy, they'll, they'll act like it's slow release energy. So the whole sugar thing is a bit of a myth, but yeah, I mean, hydration for me is just a given being out in Las Vegas. If I don't take a five gallon bottle of water with me, I'm dead by the halfway mark because it's so dry out here, here and 110 degree heat. Yeah, I wouldn't last very long. Yeah, I try and have, I try and plan it out beforehand. Like I always have my huge bottle of water with me. I think when you mentioned the nuts are a great idea. I always have some almonds or stuff like that. I think the best encore snack, and you actually see a lot of PGA Tour players doing it. Like I do peanut butter and jelly, and then I do something else. I want everyone to try this if you have it because it's like delicious. I slice bananas also and put it in there. So if I'm I'm someone who needs to eat, I don't do intermittent fasting. I'm probably like most other people where like I eat my three meals a day, and if I skip a meal on the course, eventually like it'll catch up with me. So you know, peanut butter and jelly, a banana, nuts, like having these things along for the ride. Like I'm more focused on the healthier stuff. Like I don't eat hot dogs on the course, but if you want to do that, that's totally fine. But I think those are like more better bang for your buck, like energy slash, like not weighing you down from eating too much scenarios, like eating some almonds or other nuts, like doesn't make you that full, but it gives you a nice long lasting energy throughout the round. And certainly like peanut butter and jelly or fruit, like a banana is really good too. But maybe we could dive a little deeper on that with nutritional episode if people are interested in that. But that that's a big one for me because like, I don't want to, I don't want to have an energy crash on the course that will not help me play well. 
So that's a habit that if you haven't thought about, maybe you can be a little bit better with your planning before you get to the course this year. Yeah, we'll go through that one more in in depth. If people yeah. are interested in that, I know I have, I, I do have a lot of information on that kind of stuff. So it'd be fun for me to talk about. I don't know whether listeners would enjoy it too much, but the the next one is practicing with intent. So what do yeah, you, what I mean, do that, you mean that's that, a big John? one for us, obviously. Yeah, what do you what do you mean? What does that mean to you, John? So so for me, practicing with intent is. I guess I'm going to wrap up all of the stuff we've discussed on practice here, but it's like at the minimum is like, do you have a target? You know, some people just show up to the range and they're just kind of like rifling it around to random areas. So like picking your target, having intent with the type of shot you're trying to hit going through, you know, I kind of go back and forth with like, should people go through a full pre-shot routine on every shot they hit in practice? Like, I don't think a lot of people have the discipline to do that. Like I've heard stories about how tiger, his intensity in practice, he would, you know, hit five balls in like a half hour. Like I know people aren't going to do that, but I try and go through my alignment part of my pre-shot routine every time I hit a shot on the range. So I have some intent on setting up to the ball like I would on the course, having intent on the shot, how I'm setting up my grip, my alignment with my feet, my stance, my shaft lean. Like I'm paying attention to all these things. There's intent there. And then when I hit the ball, I am paying attention to where did it go in relation to my target, the trajectory, the shot shape, all these things, and then I adjust. So, you know, we've talked a lot about practice, and obviously, Adam, you have the practice manual, the great book about it, but, you know, all those things are components of practicing with intent versus just showing up and doing the zombie range sessions where you're kind of wiping through balls and not really challenging yourself, paying attention, or learning anything new. So, terms of improvement that is a top top habit for me yeah if i ask a golfer what are you trying to do on this shot and they say oh, i'm just trying to hit it straight that is not <laughs> that's not a good way to practice you know i want someone to say well i'm trying to hit a little bit more out of the heel because i've got a toe bias pattern today or i'm trying to move my ground contact forwards i'm thinking about this in my swing in order to achieve it that's a better thing because you're practicing with intent there there's a goal you know, you're trying to do something very specific. If you're just beating balls and hoping the outcome is good and you don't have any process behind that, then it's it's just exercise, really, which is fine. If that's, if that's your goal, then go for it. You know, if you just want to burn calories beating balls, go for it. But I couldn't imagine practicing without some intent. And that is a automatic for me because, well, the way that my brain works, the way that I've trained myself, but even just practicing with a launch monitor, I can't not have intent because the numbers show up at the end of it. So it automatically drives me. If I, if I see a shot that is six millimeters off the toe, I'm going to have the intent to change that for the next one. If I hit a shot, it gives me a specific outcome. That ball went X yards. And so then I can change my intent based on what needs to improve. So you're practicing with feedback can be important. So obviously not everybody can have a launch monitor, but you can use a divot board to check your ground strike or be checking your your divots if you're on on a grass range. Or you can just use face spray to check the face as well. So that gives you at least something that you're working on, right? You're not just beating balls at that point. You're actually getting feedback and you can start to use more intent there. Yeah, I'll give you a quick example of I had not, you know, I haven't played my last round of golf in New York was sometime in like early November. So when I got down to Florida, I, yeah, I've been playing on my simulator, but I hadn't played or hit balls outdoors in over a month. And for me, that 
that's a long time. You know, I, I, I do practice and play a lot. And in one of my earlier practice sessions, I was on a grass range, so I was getting the feedback of ground contact. You know, I was noticing that I was hitting a lot of my shots low. And so I'm looking at the ball flight. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling what's going on. It's like, okay, I, I believe I'm, I knew I was striking the ball low on the face. So I, I could feel that. I could see it in my ball flight. And I wasn't really contacting the ground that well. It was, I was probably, I was getting a little too shallow and standing up on the ball. So I was taking that feedback and making some adjustments. For me, the cue is, is like, I like to feel that my weight is more on my lead side. I think that allows me to get my angle of attack a little steeper because I tend to get too shallow. And I just kind of worked on that, looked at the ball, looked at the ground. And eventually I, I knew I was starting to strike it better on the face and then getting those shots that I was taking a nice little divot after the ball and the ball was going higher up in the air with a better trajectory. So that to me was like, I noticed a problem in my ball flight. I was looking at the proper feedback. I made some adjustments and I fixed it to the point where like when I actually played, I was striking it pretty well. So that, I think that that's an example of what we're talking about. There was intent there. I was looking at the feet. I was feeling the feedback, looking at the feedback and, and adjusting. That was a very productive practice session for me. Yeah, you have a problem, you implement the solution. Pretty simple, but so many golfers don't do that. They have a problem and they just, their solution is, well, let me have another shot and see if this figures itself out. <laughs> so if if yeah. that's you, if that sounds like you, you, you need a coach or, you know, some kind of educational program to, to improve. Yeah, I mean, listen, we got plenty of episodes on practice. You can buy Adam's practice. I'll give you some plugs, your practice manual, strike plan. Adam's got great resources on those. So, yeah, that that to me is just like if you're going to change your golf game this year, try to introduce more intent to your practice sessions. I think, you know, that's a a little habit that will grow to a better result over time. So that that's a good one for me. I'm going to cross that off the list. We're We're going through my list here. Okay, here's another one that is health-related. And apologies again if I'm getting preachy, but I, I, I legitimately care about people. If you're listening to this show, I care about you. I want you to have a good life. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be a happy golfer. I don't think we've ever discussed this on the show, but and it doesn't get talked about in golf in general. But like, I think sun, like we, we play in the sun a lot. If you're a golfer, you are exposing your body to the sun in extraordinary amounts. And of course... Like vitamin D is good for you and there's certain amounts, but like if we're out there for five, four, five, six hours in the middle of the day, like we're getting a lot of sun and I don't want to get too scary here, but like skin cancer is a problem for golfers. Like it's not a pleasant thing. I'm sure there's people who listen to the show who have been through skin cancer and the treatments for it. It's not pleasant. I take sun protection seriously. I see a lot of golfers who don't and people who I know who are older who regret it who've had like multiple things removed from their face and had unfortunately chemotherapy from melanoma. So I, I just think one of the great habits people can have on the golf course is, you know, wearing your sunscreen, reapplying it during the middle of the round, and more importantly, having physical barriers. Like there's plenty of golf shirts now that have UPF protection built into them. I started wearing the solar sleeves. Actually, one of our guests, Dylan Fratelli, you'll see him on television on the PGA Tour, he wears them. I started wearing those this year. I wear a big bucket hat from Coolabar, which is a great sun protection brand from Australia. So it's something that I take seriously. And I know a lot of other golfers are tar starting to take it more seriously because it is 
a little dangerous to be in the sun for that long, especially if you're playing like around noon. It's just, it's a lot of sun exposure. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Like, do you wear sunscreen when you play Adam in Vegas? Well, I've got British skin and I'm pale for a British person as well. My wife laughs at me. She says, I'm transparent. I'm so white. So yes, if I, I literally, if I went out without sunscreen in five minutes i would be red in 10 minutes i would have sunburn i'm not even joking it's that crazy so again sunscreen for me is a no-brainer my mum did have skin cancer luckily it wasn't too bad and so yeah it is why i'd say it's at the forefront of my mind i put sunscreen on just like i brush my teeth so it's not really something i think too much about but one of the things i'd add to that is it helps you look younger as well because yeah maybe. it will make those wrink yeah those wrinkles you won't have as many wrinkles as you age if you protect your face <laughs> yeah i used to notice that when i trained in florida and the coaches there i would go there in the winter and then i go back to austria and then i come back next winter and some of the guys i'd be like wow you look like you've aged five years and they, you know they were always really tanned but they look like they're aged five years within that. And so, yeah, and here I am, 37, looking like I'm 17. Well, maybe I don't anymore, but I certainly look young for my age. And maybe the amount of sunscreen that I use is part of that. So if you're not doing it for health reasons, maybe do it for vanity reasons. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it's a, a dual benefit. But yeah, I think a habit of applying sunscreen before you're around. I'm not a dermatologist. I've spoken with many dermatologists about this. Sunscreen does run out after about a couple of hours. So I make it a habit to reapply when I make the turn. I have, there's some, you know, I think the wire cutter is a great site for people who who've never read it. It's from the New York Times, but they always review all the sunscreens. But yeah, I think if you're playing in, in the sun in the summer, get that sunscreen on. Like I've I've gone to the big bucket hat. Some people made fun of me for it. I don't care. It totally covers my face and my ears and my neck. I even started wearing this neck gaiter too. I'm a little crazy. And then the solar sleeves, once I got past like, I just got annoyed with like putting the sunscreen on my arms after a while. It would just get on my hands more. So I started wearing the solar sleeves. And once I got used to them, they're pretty easy to wear. And I'm starting to see more and more golfers, especially at tournaments, wearing the solar sleeves. So people can look into that. And one final point I'll make is, I don't know if you ever got your moles checked by a dermatologist, Adam. That is a very good habit to have is going to a dermatologist every year, once every few years, and have them check you out. There is this wild story that was in the news the other day, someone was at a hockey game and I think it was a medical student and they were sitting behind one of the players on the stands and she looked at a mole on the back of this guy's neck and she thought it looked very suspicious. So she took out her cell phone and wrote in big letters and knocked on the window and wrote a message like, check out this mole, it doesn't look good. And the guy, like the NHL player, like kind of made a weird look at her, but he like nodded and he went to a dermatologist and it was melanoma. And he was a young guy and and he like reconnected with her and thanked her and like she possibly saved his life. So another thing I would encourage people to do is if you do play a lot of golf in the sun is like have a dermatologist look at your moles once in a while because I've heard a lot of stories about people who, you know, didn't look at something and and it kind of went on for a few years before they caught it. That'll be my last point on this topic. What's the next one? Pre-shot routine? Yeah, moving on, we did a pretty comprehensive episode on pre-shot routines, so you can go back to that and post-shot routines. I think when it comes to the mental game and, and strategic part of golf, they're kind of intertwined here. 
having a really solid pre-shot routine where you're taking time to evaluate your target, think of the type of shot you want to play, whether it's you know the club you're pulling, evaluating the wind, elevation changes, all those things that we've discussed on the show, and then going through some type of manual rehearsal. Some people like to take practice swings. Other people are visualizing their target more or a little mixture of both. And then having maybe a kind of a trigger or timing that gets them to execute the shot. So they're not standing over the ball paralyzed, (laughs) thinking about 50 different swing thoughts. But yeah, like having working on a pre-shot routine, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back to it. I live in, I don't want to say live and die by it, but like my routine is like my comfort now. Like whenever I'm feeling nervous in a tournament, whatever it might be, like it's it's what I kind of hang my hat on and saying like, I am going to go through this routine no matter what's going on during the round. And it's such a great habit to have. So that that's on my list as the, as the game improvement habit for sure. That's one of my top ones. Definitely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of that and segueing into the next part as well on advanced stats tracking, you know, the post shot routine, that's really important for me. That's one of the most important parts because you're, you're tracking what happened in that last shot so you can see patterns, what were the errors, so that at the end of the round you can look back at that and say, right, I need, I need to work on this, this, and this. I know someone on Twitter recently posted, they've got a little sheet that they've taken from our podcast. And it had yeah, most I saw of that. Stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, did you just post the thing that I've got on my next level golf program, which I wouldn't chastise someone for doing that. But yeah, it's it's very similar to what I have in my next level golf program. It was missing quite a few things that are in there. So if you, if you want something that's really comprehensive, go to next level golf. I've got in the university section, I've got a routines thing, post shot routines, and there's a downloadable stats tracker that basically is what I think is the most comprehensive thing. I like strokes gained, certainly. Use strokes gained myself. However, it doesn't tell me what I need to improve. It just tells me what I'm good at and what I'm bad at or how I played that day. So this stats tracker that I have tells you exactly what you need to improve. So things like, you know, did you miss left, right? Was it toe, heel? Was it ground contact issues? Was it an undercorrection, an overcorrection? I know I'm going through it quite quickly, but it's all explained in my program. And, and I'm sure we went through lots of it in our pre-shot routine podcast as well. But what are your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I think definitely having the routine and then the 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 post-shot routine, like how you react to each shot is like a, a time to like, getting back to one of the original habits, internalize those wins. And then kind of if, if things didn't go well, you're now analyzing and looking at it in a more objectively non-emotional way. But I think the time to take a deeper dive is after the round. So I think, you know, a great habit that people can have is a combination of like reviewing their rounds afterward and then keeping We've talked a lot about stats in various episodes. I don't think keeping track of your fairways hit and putts per round is giving you nearly enough information. Go back to our Mark Brody episode on strokes gained. I think you and me still like greens and regulation. But yeah, even if if you start doing strokes gained this year, that'd be a great habit. I know you started using ShotScope, Adam. That's a a system that I like and I have a deal on, on practical golf. Pretty cool GPS watch. It automatically tracks your shots and then it gives you access to that dashboard where you're seeing your strokes gained. And then you could dive deeper. Like let's say you were losing strokes on your approach shots. 
you can then you're seeing your shot distributions from various distances. Are you missing left, right, short, long? So yeah, like what you said is like stroke skein is a very good starting point to seeing where your relative strengths and weaknesses are in your game. It's a great habit to start tracking that. But then on top of that, you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. And I know you've got great resources for that. But yeah, you have to start wondering like, okay, if if I am losing strokes off the tee with my driver, is it a distance issue? Am I just not hitting it as far? Do I need to work on that? Or is it laterally, I'm just all over the place. I have too many penalty strokes around. So then you start getting into the, okay, am I having issues with contact on the face of the driver? Or is it a face angle issue? Are you blasting it way off to the right? Or perhaps you have a nasty slice, which is perhaps more of a swing path issue. So stats is a really good starting point, a very good habit to form. And then going a little bit deeper into that to try and uncover the root cause of that deficiency. Does, does that wrap it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're missing greens, that's one thing. So like the greens in regulation only tells you one thing. If you're missing them or hitting them, then you go more in depth into things like the shot scope data. You can see whether you're missing left or right or short or long. And say, for example, you're missing short, then you'd need my kind of data, which would be, you know, why are you missing short? Is it a ground contact issue, face contact issue? Is it a club selection issue, which I'm going more into the mental fault? So you're misjudging wind. So you need, you can't just look at something like greens in regulation. Yes, it tells you a story, but it doesn't tell you exactly what you need to go off and improve. So I think I'm, uh, I'm looking at my list here. I think I've crossed off everything. And we're actually almost just over an hour. This is like fast for us. Yeah, we, we, can, <laughs> we can finish here on this one. Yeah, well, I wanted to try. I thought this would just be getting people to think about habits in general. I think we gave some example. I, I, I mean, let's face it. This was all my ideas. So you're more of the goal guy. That's fine. But yeah, some of these I just wanted to like some of the topics like being grateful about golf, proper warm up, the hydration thing, walking the course. It's stuff we hadn't necessarily talked a lot about in other episodes. And then, you know, more of the practicing with intent, stat tracking, pre-shot routines. That's more of the topics we talk about all the time. So I wanted to do a mixture of both. But yeah, I think whoever... I mean, most people listening to this podcast want to get better at golf and they have goals for their game. And I'm totally fine with that. I think goals are great, but you got to kind of deconstruct them more and think about like what habits you're going to either change or form new ones to get there. So hopefully this episode gets the juices flowing a bit. I'm sure there's plenty of other habits people will think of that we did not discuss, but I think that's, that's one of the ways to get you there is really thinking about what habits you have and how you can change them. And they don't have to be terribly complicated. Like I, I think simplicity is almost better. Putting you on the spot a little, what was one of your biggest takeaways from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits? I've, I've had it on my list for ages to buy, but forever, for some reason, whenever I go and buy, I don't. <laughs> so perhaps I should read it. What's your biggest I think takeaway? It, my, my one from him is always like, make it obvious. So He's someone who's like aggregated a lot of research over the years, and he's very forthright with the fact he's like, listen, I'm just someone who came along who kind of obsessed over this, and then I've just kind of like taken everything that's been researched on habits and then putting it together in a a digestible format. And I think that's what great authors and and, and thought leaders do. One of the, the 
great things he just is like make it obvious and make it simple like he gives these examples of like if you want to start eating more apples and eating healthier put the apple in the middle of your kitchen in front of you don't put it in the cupboard hidden away and you know he references all this research where they i think it was a cafeteria of actually a hospital of all places where they started changing where all like the healthier stuff was versus the not healthy stuff. And just by making it more prominent and in front of people, like they just started drinking more water and eating more fruit. So he just kind of like uncovers all these like little ridiculous things about the human psyche and how we develop habits and how easy it is to form them. But then also it's how easy it is to fall out of them. So that, that always is the one that stuck with me is make it obvious. Like if you want to eat more apples, keep them out in front of you. If you want to practice your putting more at home, put your putter out and the mat in a place where you're going to see it more. For me, like with my habit checklist, like I have to keep it in front of me. I don't put it inside my desk drawer. If I don't see it, I'm not thinking about it. So that's one of the the great takeaways I have from this book. But I would say it's like literally I can I consider that book like required reading for humanity. It really has like I'm not a, I'm not a Tony Robbins guy or into the self-help stuff that much. Not that I'm against Tony Robbins, but like I think James Clear's take on this is like so universal to anyone's learning style that even if you get a couple of takeaways from the book, like I think it can have like a really positive impact on your life. This is an interesting so, yeah. one where I think we're we're very different, which is a good thing because we'll have more to talk yeah. about. But yeah, Not I, everyone's the same. I, I'm listening to that and I don't know if that would work for me. I Maybe I'm just an outlier in itself, I always thought everybody is, is, is more like me minded, but I, I'm starting to realize I'm probably an outlier. I need to have really <laughs> extreme goals. I need them to be ex- incredibly specific. Even having something in front of me won't do it. Like I've got a exercise bike right in front of me. And unless I set a specific goal of, I need my FTP to be 180 by three in three months time, I won't do anything. <laughs> I just let that sit in front in front of me and my wife will get upset that that bike is in front of me and not being used. So, yeah. Well, in, I, in fairness to him, he goes into a lot more ways to develop right. systems. And one of the other big takeaways is changing your identity. So he calls them, I think, identity-based goals where it's like, I, I, I use this like when I want to become a better driver of the golf ball like i used to think like oh i'm just a crappy driver of the golf ball but i'm like you have to start like believing like what am i going to do to actually believe this and then you're kind of like mapping out the the changes and habits you're going to do to achieve that new identity because you almost have to believe it anyway like listen it's not the end-all be-all like there's been tons of books written on habits and most people read them and like forget half the stuff and i probably forgot a a lot about what he wrote but some of it stuck with me and i think that's what good books do like i'm writing a golf book now and i'm going to be putting a ton of information in there and i'm going to tell people in the beginning of it like i don't expect you to remember 90 percent of this if you take one two or three things out of this book and it helps you like i think you got your money's worth so yeah, I think it can get you thinking differently about habits in general. And I think you're right. People are different on their cues. I think it's probably more, more people are probably more in the atomic habits thing than they are like me. I think there are few people who are as extreme as I am. So it's probably more relatable what we've talked about today. Yeah, it's a great book. It's easy to read. And 
I like lowered the price to like 12 bucks on Amazon now. So it's like relatively cheap. So yeah, if you want to check it out, maybe that'll help you think of new habits in your life or on the golf course. So we want to wrap it up here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how should we wrap it up? You want to do a summary? Like always you've, do. You've, you've done the summary, haven't you? We've wrapped yeah, it up. Yeah, I think, yeah, just, just kind of fired off a bunch of ideas for people. <laughs> Hopefully they found some of them helpful and got them thinking about things. We have plenty of other topics to explore on this show. So, yeah, I just, as usual, I want to remind people, like, you can always contact me or Adam, and I do get a lot of emails and Twitter messages. If you have ideas or feedback, criticisms, whatever, we actually got our first like really negative Apple review the other week. I put it on Twitter. <laughs> Someone got very angry about our Scratch Golf episode, which is totally fine. What was the reason for that again? He said we had a loser's mentality because I was, or maybe it was me saying that I thought it was a goal that is not, sh- it shouldn't be the goal for every golfer because it's, it's very hard. But it was one of those like, oh, you're giving out participation trophies. You have a loser mentality type things which is fine like, I, think it's almost, uh, I put it on twitter people got a good laugh out of it there's almost phases of that I, I i i'm not a huge fan of participation trophy things but then you go into the next part where okay and i was here where you're really uber goal setting and and achievement oriented but then you come out of the other side of that where you kind of lose your ego a little bit and you say well what? there's no real reason for me to be a scratch golfer you know i'm not competing it's not my it's not my livelihood it's not anything like that so for me i do find it very difficult now to set goals that are not meaningful in the grand scheme of things. So for me, like achieving a better golf game, it's like, well, it doesn't really mean anything to me. Whereas I have goals now, which are more like, I need to create this content in a certain time period. Why is that meaningful for me? Because once I create that content, I'll have more freedom, more time freedom after that. And so that is very meaningful to me. So I think I can understand where that person's coming from, talking about loser's mentality, but I think they probably misunderstand that it's, it's, we're more enlightened. <laughs> yeah, but joking. listen, it's I, a little I bit mean, of a ribbing. Yeah, I mean, any anyone can have any reaction to what we're doing. It's fine. But yeah, that was <laughs> our first like two star public review, which you know, you and me have both gotten criticism for years in That's separate fine. ways. I send you some of the so. emails I get anyway. The last one I sent you, like, oh my god, oh, yeah, this person is wild. crazy. <laughs> don't even want to put on here what they said when uh, you when you put stuff out on the internet and and it reaches enough eyeballs like some stuff comes back at you and you're like wow that was interesting anyway (laughs) so yes what i'm telling everyone is that please reach out to us and you can talk crazy to us too we're fine with that or give us feedback or ideas for other episodes so adam where can they find you adamyounggolf.com and john where can they find you You can find me at practical-golf.com. And as always, I want to thank the Sweet Spot show sponsor, which is the Indoor Golf Shop. You can find all of your indoor golf needs at their website, which is shopindoorgolf.com. I know a number of you have reached out to them already. I've sent plenty of practical golf readers to them over the years. I think they are some of the best experts in the industry when it comes to golf simulators or else Adam and I wouldn't be promoting them. So if you need help with a simulator for your home business, you can call them, talk to their guys, Brian and Wade. They can evaluate your needs, the size, your budget, the space you want to put it in and help you make the right decision. So we want to thank them again for their support of the sweet spot and you can find them at shopindoorgolf.com. And as always, thank you for listening and we will see you next time with a new episode.